Welcome to this episode of Laughing Without Liquor, a woman's guide to living it up without the booze. Join your long-term recovery hosts, Lane Kennedy and Tamar Medford, as they have insightful conversations with others on an alcohol-free journey. We're glad you're here. Now let's dive into this episode. All right, before we get into today's episode, I want you to know that we have an awesome sponsor. Are you ready for it? It's called the Laughing Without Liquor newsletter. You can find out more information over at laughingwithoutliquor.com forward slash newsletter. But here's the get. When you sign up, you get all of our juicy discounts. Now, the first discount that I want to share with you is my big discount to the class. Have you ever taken the class with Taryn or Sophia or Sam or, I mean, there's so many amazing teachers over there. This is my preferred method of sweat, the class. Not only do I sweat, but sometimes I cry. Sometimes I'm laughing. Sometimes I am, well, definitely I'm getting a workout. Super spiritual, super fun, super funky. Go check them out. But first you have to get on our newsletter over at you said it, laughingwithoutliquor.com forward slash newsletter. Grab that newsletter. But you know, when you get into that newsletter, I have something else I'm going to give to you, which is our Unleash Your Self-Preservation. It's kind of a little mini course that you're going to jump into when you join, because we know that you are here to win it every day. So go check that out over at, again, you know it, laughingwithoutliquor.com forward slash newsletter. Sign up and you'll get all of our juicy discounts. Thanks for supporting our show. And now let's get into today's episode. Laughing Without Liquor, the content presented on the Laughing Without Liquor website and podcast is for informational purpose only and not intended to diagnose or treat disease. Before making any changes to your nutrition or supplementation, please make sure to check with your physician or healthcare provider. Laughing Without Liquor podcast is for general information purpose only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including or giving medical advice and no doctor patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition that they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare profession. So we're just letting you know that we're here sharing our experience, and we want you to take your health serious. So that's our disclaimer. Enjoy the show. I'm ready. Starting with the spray. Oh my God. Really? I got a lot going on here, people. <laughs> um, I'm hanging out with my friend, Tamar Medford. And I'm hanging out with my friend, Lane Kennedy. We're hanging out with you. Thanks for hanging out with us. This is Laughing Without Liquor. And Woo, man, I have a lot going on tomorrow. You do. I know life is full. It's so freaking full. I can't even like, <laughs> I can't even take a breath right now. Yeah. It's like, what is happening? But I think that is one of the gifts of being sober and living yes. in recovery is <sighs> that stuff starts to happen and good stuff yes. starts to happen. Yes. And uh, yeah, it life gets so, full. So many good things are happening. It's kind of wild. Uh and I'm so glad that we're here today, that we're able to connect and share 
Richie Satori today. Boom chakalaka. You're thinking, <laughs> why are we listening to Richie? Who is Richie? <laughs> this is a male, a male. <laughs> on the show. On the show. We've had a few. Who is Richie? Well, Richie is a comedian. He lives in long-term recovery. So he's a professional comedian, executive director, and host of the Stand Up for Recovery Comedy Festival, Comedy Festival in Georgia, which I wish it was in Canada. I mean, we're, we're, we talked about moving it that way, but you're bringing laughter to recovery and you're also bringing opportunities for the newcomers to get into this. So Richie, why don't you kind of do a quick intro of who you are and let our listeners know. Cool. Thank you, Tamar and Lane, for having me. I've been a fan of the show. I'm super excited to be on. I'm Richie Satori. I'm a person in long-term recovery. Uh, for me, that means I haven't found it necessary to poison myself in almost 10 years. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> <laughs> because you just identified very specifically. Yeah. Did you hear yourself? Tamar, did you hear him how he identified himself? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I Say that again, because it's really important right there. Yeah. So first and foremost, I'm, I'm Thai. I'm a person. I'm not defined by my disease or, you know, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I'm a person in long-term recovery uh, from both a substance use disorder and mental health challenges, which I've heard some people say the Venn diagram is a circle uh, <laughs> for yeah. people with the substance use. I mean, there's the obsession and compulsion to use. There's the, you know, um, just to begin with. So, yeah, but uh, for me, that means, um, and, and I believe that if you, you know, you say you're in recovery, you're in recovery. It's cool like that. Um, we're, you know, everybody's welcome. So for me, that means um, I haven't found it necessary to poison myself. Um, I'll just put it that way, because that kind of covers everything. <laughs> um, for nine years, let's say eight months, three weeks and but yeah, one one night at a time. That's that's my little slogan. Because, you know, we hear one day at a time. I feel most vulnerable in the evenings. And that's part of the reason we created uh, Stand Up For Recovery. Um, you know, I, I've worked in the field of addiction recovery and uh, mental health recovery. And I'm always curious why people, you know, have lapse of symptoms, you know, relapses. Are, and also recovery is, you know, not linear. It's not like if I don't get it the first time. I can't get it or that there's only one pathway to pursue and if that doesn't work. You're screwed. Are you a fall down drunk, Richie? You know what? I was a, um, it was never my drug of choice. I was, I was weed forever and mm-hmm. then, uh, uppers mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, abused prescription uppers for a while. And then I got into the hard stuff when I moved to San Francisco. What does hard stuff mean to you? Um, like, um, biker grade speed. Yes, that is hard stuff. Oh my god! The, 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 right the, out of the garage. Uh, yeah, smells like uh, still like gasoline. Um, yep. yep. <laughs> um, but you know, it wasn't actually until I got arrested, felony charges, possession in with intent to manufacture and distribute crack cocaine. Uh, that I, you know, was getting drug tested, but I, they weren't testing me for alcohol. And it wasn't like I just wanted to like be defiant and still get effed up. I don't know if we can cuss on here, but uh, uh, you get the point. And um, so I started drinking 
alcoholically, you know, um, because that's how I used any other substance. Um, and, you know, I would intentionally come to a certain fellowship late where they have in the preamble, like alcohol is a drug, you know, and I didn't want to hear that. Um, but I think I just, you know, I was scared. I didn't have certain tools and stuff, but I did drink, I would say alcoholically, um, probably for my first year, um, you know, after I got arrested, um, I wasn't doing, um, other illicit drugs, but I was, you know, I was just trying to like kind of self-medicate and stuff. Um, and I, right, you know, because was, you have a mental illness, dude. Yeah. yeah right? And the yeah. mental illness, it's like, it's so loud. So you got to take something if you're not, I'm just, I'm just having this great image. I have a great, I see things in pictures and I'm just yeah. thinking about you like doing your drugs, right. right. <laughs> and being chill and then saying, oh. okay, I'm not doing well. Yeah. And, and then being like, I'm not doing the drugs anymore. And then you turn to alcohol. Trash bags. Yeah. Like what that looks like. Oh. Right. Well, I mean, it was around, it's socially acceptable. And now mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. drug test for alcohol, which I think is not to be a buzzkill, I guess, pun yeah. intended, but uh, <laughs> I, that kind of makes sense. But, you know, it's like, I guess in a way it was a form of harm reduction. Yeah. It wasn't as bad as freebasing cocaine, um, perhaps, but I mean, alcohol is a powerful drug, you know? Yeah. And, um, so what that looked like was, you know, just the way I would use was from morning till three nights later. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it would be sneaking, you know, sneaking rum from the cabinet. I got arrested in the town where my parents lived. I'd come back from Montreal with a bad habit. And, um, and yeah, so when I inevitably got arrested and that's just, I was on probation for two years and, um, I would just be, you know, wanting to change the way I feel. And so, you know, there's a couple different ways you can do that. And I, I tried them all and still, you know, struggle from time to time with substitution. Um, so, you know, um, it was just, you know, it wasn't pretty. Um, but, and I, you know, it's like one of those things that like, you really don't see. I remember being at like a cousin's wedding and, and it was just like these fancy drinks. They taste like Capri Suns and, you know, it's Caparena or, you know, whatever that diesel is. Um, and, it, you know, it was just, um, you know, I thought I was the life of the party. Apparently I, you know. Was, well, let's talk about that because, you know, when we're drinking and using, yeah. we turn into something else, right? We're just like. Yeah. Especially right? yeah, when you combine those two, like I right. remember being like, oh, I can handle my crack. But when you had alcohol, that's when it gets really bad. Like <laughs> that's when the feedback is like, yo, you, you have a problem. Like now yeah. you have a you, you I, Slow it down. I remember, and I don't know, I was, I was in Montreal. I was, had an opportunity. I was, uh, don't play guitar well, but I've, I've always been able to like kind of impersonate Johnny Cash and uh, mm -hmm. Hank Williams a little bit. And I was sort of in the rockabilly, psychobilly scene a little bit. I was doing circus and my specialty was uh, Wild West tricks. So like Wild West burlesque. I was doing like weird stuff with Wild West media. Okay, wait a minute. Wild <laughs> West burlesque? Oh, yeah. Oh, because I, I – uh, So you say, you say um, cowboy stuff or what did you call it? 
Yeah, like Wild West. Wild uh, West. So I think throwing knives. I don't think burlesque. Okay, Richie? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is – I was in New York uh, doing Wild West. But it started as a – and I don't want to get political because, you know, as Will Rogers said, if you know, political comedy at best, 50% of the audience laughs. But we'll just say being an activist – was part of my story and that actually kind of gave myself PTSD and I was self-medicating and, mm-hmm. and that so it is part of my story so I don't want to tiptoe around it too much but I'm I, I'm guessing you know people will understand whatever I don't it's not that I'm like ashamed of my what I was being an activist for I just know that it can be very divisive especially in this day mm-hmm. and yeah um so anyway I was uh, I, I founded a group called Cal. And that was cowboys opposed to W. We'll just say, <laughs> um, which was Tomorrow, the, what is W. That's two things actually. Now that I say it out loud, well, let's not tiptoe around it. It's all right. I'm so, like, what is this? What? Yeah, it's like, just, come on. Yeah. Cowboys opposed to war. Uh, it was during the Iraq invasion, uh-huh. so I was a very I was a progressive little cowboy, and um, <laughs> as I still am, probably at heart. But um, again, no need to get political. But uh, also, I was doing a Bush parody, so W. Bush. It was, um, I love it. and so I was traveling all around, uh, swing states, and campaigning, um, and stir- generally stirring shit up. Um, and so I'm sorry. I want to jump in for a quick second because I think our audience, I think she's thinking, what, what's where are we going with this? Because you're a comic, right? I was thinking, who? Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you're a whole- funny guy. You're, you're, you're drinking, you're using, you quit drinking and using it. But before that, I want to know, were you always funny? Like when you were drinking and using, were you funny? I, I'd like to think so. Um, and I then literally when you got sober, you were still funny because I think that people kind of go in their shells yeah. a little bit, right? They can like, Oh my yeah. God, the world is watching me now. Yeah. So I want to hear a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. So I think I'm, I'm uh, the second son um, I don't know if that means uh, is indicative out of, of how many, out of 20, how many, out of two, I have two. <laughs> <laughs> I have two. oh my God, okay. I'm waiting for this 12, I know, yeah. 15, <laughs> I was attempted to be raised Catholic, but, uh, okay. but I was, uh, attention seeking was early, you know, Got for it. me, I used to like to dress up in my parents clothes and da 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 da, and you know. Um, literally joined the circus to become a clown when I was 15. Um, so okay, the, now we're talking. Uh, so now, yeah, early comedy career. Uh, and um, Hence the Cowboys. See, now it's making sense. Now it's coming together. Because yeah. Wild West theatrics always kind of had a part, in, at least in the American circus, and I guess in Calgary for sure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but um, so I got into the Western stuff through the circus. Um, I had a, a teacher, a mentor, Yuri Belov from Moscow State Circus, who was what my, um, who was an acting teacher at University of North Carolina School of the Arts, where I studied acting, and um, and he's like, you know, I'm out here in San Francisco. Jugglers are a dime a dozen, you know. You should learn some Wild West circus skills, and so I did. Um, and then actually, and then along comes George W. Um, you know, anyway, uh, and so I was basically doing a parody of him, you know, like kind of Colbert did, um, O'Reilly mm-hmm. in the Colbert, Colbert report. I was, you know, I sort of was doing a, almost a, 
what do you call it? Like Buffoon, Buffon, uh, if you're French, um, you know, parody of, of, of W. So that was very co- comedic. It was attempting to be comedic, uh, slapstick cowboy. And then I started doing more, a little more, I guess that was satire. And then the parody came, um, when I started doing like a Will Rogers tribute thing. Um, I'm trying to not forget your question. So basically how long was I funny and was there a gap? So yeah, I got a, I was training in Montreal with Cirque du Soleil. Um, what? at least okay. wait, wait, a minute. wait a minute. Are you using while yes. you're training? Okay. Like yes. Cirque du Soleil is no joke, dude. No joke. Yeah. It's like, that's a full-time gig. Yeah. But what are you doing at in Cirque du Soleil? Like, wait a minute. Well, I was training at their, like, they've got various facilities. So I'm yeah. training with people who are in Cirque du Soleil. I wasn't uh-huh. necessarily training with. Got it. Got it. Okay. I was okay. being con- considered um, for their Elvis tribute show in Las Vegas. And got it. Uh, I was up. That? I was being considered for that. And there was all got sorts it. of. Okay. I got to just ask the question. Are you queer? I am not. No, I've always been attracted to women. I don't know. I mean, that's such a broad thing. I'm attracted to the female form. I'm not gonna, you know, in this day and age, like I, know, I it's so, yeah. um, okay. So I just, there was another person I was just, um, talking to and they straight, like super straight, very straight. And he goes, yeah, I used to take ballet. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> yeah, I used to consider it circus training and then I kind of came around to it embrace just always, it. I love it so much because I wish my kid would have taken it. And and he, yeah. he was talking about how it serves him in current day with just posturing and how mm-hmm. he, he can move his body and how he communicates and how he interacts with others, like how yeah. he can read other people's body language. If you I can go on the coolest thing. a dance belt, which is literally just a padded thong. And in tights, like no stage is intimidating after that. Right. Oh my God. Especially in like very, very, very rural Virginia. We moved from the, uh, from like the Washington DC suburbs to like very rural Virginia. And, and that's, you know, I was 13 and I think I started doing ballet at 14. Again, I was, I was looking for a way out of there and I made some friends in the arts and uh, they had a jester character for the Nutcracker, and so I was like, "Yeah, I'm just you know, it's a circus training because I'm like juggling and stuff." Okay, and what is your what What is your mom and dad saying about this? I don't know. You'd have to ask them. I made them leave. <laughs> I'm just thinking, are they conservative? Are they liberal? My, are they hippies? My dad has, uh, you know, he's kind of a little bit, you know, he's second generation American. Dad from Sicily. Oh my! Uh, you know. Um, my mom's actually from Hazard, Kentucky, but that didn't stop her. She worked on the Hill and in DC back in the day. And, uh, she's very progressive, but like, so, so, you know, she was a dancer and stuff. And so like she, that I feel like, you know, she was much more in the arts world and come around and and my dad's more in this, the sports world and still is, but you know, his son's a DJ in Brazil and his other son's, uh, you know, comedian, actor in atlanta so mm-hmm. you know, he's he's come to kind of it's taken him 83 years but he's kind of uh <laughs> he's warming up to us <laughs> oh my god when they when you were you know shooting smoking doing the hard drugs uh 
were they a part of your life? Sort of, but yeah, I mean, uh, um, I was living in Montreal for the last three years of my mm-hmm. using. Mm-hmm. Before I moved back to the U.S., had a couple of close calls. Um, and then I, th- I don't know how long I was back before I got arrested, but it wasn't too long. Okay, wait. You, okay, wait. You, you, close call meaning almost dead? Close call? Border crossings back and forth trying to, to stay in, <laughs> um, you know, d- drug Disneyland. Um, oh, <laughs> Richie, you ever think about writing a book, dude? I mean, come I, on. I, I shouldn't say that, but um, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, this is completely entertaining. I want to well, get t- into comedy. I want to get into your comedy and what you're sharing with the world today because mm-hmm. it's so important, right? The sober, friendly comedy that you're doing out in Atlanta. Like, come on. Yeah. So the turning point for me was I came back to the U.S., and I think life had gotten real serious, you know, um, inevitably got arrested. Um, you know, I wasn't able to drive. I wasn't able to basically work. I could just go to like church and, uh, you know, or meetings. And so that meant meetings and uh, church, church. <laughs> just just the basement. Yeah, just the basement. Um, and so like I remember my like the a real turning point for me it was actually at my first meeting and i had to get my mom to drive me it was very uh humbling you know hey just a little reminder just a little tiny reminder to make sure you head on over to laughingwithoutliquor.com forward slash newsletter so you can start unleashing your self-preservation we want you to live your ultimate life and we've got that for you over at the newsletter. Remember, laughingwithoutliquor.com forward slash newsletter and unleash your self-preservation. All right, let's get back to the show now. And someone's like, before I got in recovery, I was a flaming asshole, man. But now I got to meet, I go to meetings and I got a sponsor and I work the steps. Now I'm just an asshole. <laughs> so <laughs> like that was like a, a pivotal thing. Like, cause it was like, it was the first time I probably had laughed in a little while. I'd started to take myself too serious and it was like me against the world and paranoia and et cetera. Um, you know, worried about facing, you know, major time with felony charges. And, um, and I felt like, you know, like the, the courts and the police were just waiting for me to screw up so they could throw away the key, you know, on this probation period. But, um, so I don't know if comedy helped save my life, but it's definitely helped save my sanity. And, um, a couple meetings in something clicked. I was writing down stuff, you know, you'd hear one of, you know, million different things at a meeting that's like, Oh, uh, yeah, that kind of sounds like me. And I was very much like, a, you know, I think on paper. So I would write these notes down and it was looking a little bleak and depressing. And I think something clicked um, from like being a fan and, and being in the comedy world, not as a standup. I had done some classes in New York with stand-up. I did one class, really liked it, got to do a show, but wasn't ready to be myself. And something clicked at one of or an early meeting, and I was like, oh, I need to do stand-up. Because everyone's like, you know, share, share, share. And I'm like, I haven't had my court date yet. I'm thinking everything could be used against me. Um, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I was, I was, I was full of fear. But I was like, um, so I found a comedy club where I could do stand up and it was like an hour and a half away. I had to get permission from a judge, but because I went to school for acting, 
I was able to, you know, say it was work related. And so once a week for about two years, <laughs> I just kept taking the stand up class again at a comedy club um, about an hour and a half away. And eventually I was hosting the comedy classes and this, you know, the teacher knew and I have to give him props for letting me, you know, he, he had to sign paperwork for the court and, you know, um, and so, yeah, stand up. Um, I, I, I had always heard like, if you write autobiographically, people are less likely to steal your material. And, and so, um, after I got off probation, I moved to Richmond, Virginia, which was like the, the cool city in, in Virginia. And I was able to do stand up on a nightly basis. And eventually I had a lot of stuff that was very autobiographical and I just put it in chronological order. And then the actor in me kind of flipped a switch and was like, this is a one man show. So I, I, I did a show called monkey off back circus still in town, which I, I heard at the meetings. <laughs> um, I think it was originally attributed to George Carlin and, um, but anyway, yeah. So I, and then I, you know, went to conventions and there's comedy shows there. And then, you know, I learned about people like Mike DiStefano, rest in peace, um, you know, and hearing him perform at like different 12 step conventions and just, you know, how he's so irreverent yet. This is something that saved his life and he died sober, you know, but, um, you know, I just realized this is, there's a built in audience here. But anyway, so that was kind of the the thing for me. And for, so for the past 10 years, I've traveled around the, the country in a, in a van and done shows at conventions for nothing and, you know, performed at recovery community organizations here and there. I've been working on my act and, um, and then just in this past two years, um, started Stand Up for Recovery and producing shows in Atlanta. And now we're trying to become uh, a, a nonprofit and create sober open mics and we're trying to get Narcan into comedy clubs across the country. Um, we just got to be part of the largest statewide recovery event in, um, in the U S called mobilize recovery across Georgia. And, um, you know, working with some really talented people and we're starting to embrace the mental health component of it. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, not sure when this comes out, but the first through the fifth, of November, we're going to be um, part of the Atlanta Urban Comedy and Music Festival um, at the Underground, which, um, so we'll be doing, producing four shows there. And uh, yeah, we had a lot of stuff starting to go on. I feel like it's just the alignment of my purpose um, and my passion with stand up and making people laugh. And I, I, like I said, like, I feel like comedy laughter is the gift that recovery first gave back to me. So I feel, you know, like that's my calling to, to help other people and not to forget long timers and in-betweeners, but, um, but particularly the newcomers and stuff, because, you know, some people just think that recovery is, is going to be boring and it definitely doesn't have to be. No, it doesn't. And you said one of my favorite words, which is purpose, because mm -hmm. I believe I found my purpose through recovery, right? Because I finally, there was a certain point, probably around the five, six year mark where I was like, I'm not happy. You know, is this all that sobriety is going to give me? And I just thought, you know, I've overcome a lot. Mm -hmm. I have the talent. I have the ability to actually seek the life I want and make this recovery journey so much better. And I did. And I feel like finding my purpose and really discovering what my passions were helped 
you know, amplify my recovery by a hundred times. So you had talked about, you know, the newcomer. How do you think, I love that you do an open mic thing. Cause I remember, you know, just doing 12 step meetings. I was terrified to even speak up, to use my voice. But eventually when you're around the right people and they encourage you, I think you start to find your voice and that's really important in recovery. Now, you know, adding laughter to it because I mean, I've met some pretty miserable people in recovery and they don't do much outside of it. How do you think that bringing say someone who's newer in that maybe has this like, Oh, I I could maybe try this. How do you think that's going to enhance their recovery? Well, that's a great question. And, and one of the, and we have not started the sober mics yet. That's a goal in becoming actually they're talking to a uh, RCO recovery community organization called the door. And they've expressed an interest. They're like, Hey, have it, have it at our place. And just, it's been one thing after another. Um, and so that, I know that's a, a very important thing for, for a lot of reasons to have a sober open mic or recovery friendly or sober friendly open mic. Um, and I think it would look like just giving people a, first and foremost, a supportive audience of people in recovery. Um, and, and, having the people who get up to just tell, tell, share honestly, you know, to have that outlet, same as any other kind of mutual aid support group where we can share and, and feel heard and know that we're not alone and have people, you know, um, kind of, uh, identify. Um, so having just people just, you know, to be able to get up and just tell a story and, um, and I think the audience, you know, will let you know what's funny. And if, you know, we can help encourage, you know, if someone does want to curate a, a set or create a set, you know, say like record your set, listen back to where the audience laughs. They're telling you where you're funny, you know, and then eventually if you want to write down that story, every sentence is a setup for a joke, you know, highlight your punchlines, your laugh lines. And if there's big space, either write more punchlines or, or cut you know, cut some material. And, um, so I think processing that way, um, it's kind of like just, um, spoken journaling, you know, I think it has the same benefits of journaling, same benefits of sharing, um, laughter is a form of connection. So you get that piece, uh, and I'm playing around with this. I don't feel like I live in the South, you know, in the U S so it's, uh, but I'm like, Hey, if you're struggling with a higher power, like laughter is another example of a power greater than herself, you know, it's just, um, St- okay. Wait, yeah. <laughs> stand up for recovery is uh-huh. you, your company, your organization, nonprofit. That's what it is. It's a nonprofit stand up for recovery. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about like early in recovery. I did these, um, improv classes. Oh, nice. Freaking loved it. But I'm bringing yeah. this up because this could be a great thing for people. Like you could have classes and you could just do it online. Are you doing this online? Like I would take a class. That would be interesting. Uh, We want to be able to start doing workshops where we can do like improv and stand up and storytelling, you know, create this space. But I was working um, at a recovery community organization that was art based and I was had the ability to start experimenting with what I was learning in improv, what I'd learned in improv about, you know, the recovery principles that align with, you know, some of these, these techniques of play and stuff. And, um, and the, you know, it's the therapeutic value of that. And 
Um, but no, it would be cool to. Because then you're not, you know, then you're not isolated in Atlanta, right? Exactly. Then you're open to worldwide. And, wow. you know, just think about that impact, you know, and, and, and all different lengths of recovery, right? Like I'm 20, sure. how long am I sober now tomorrow? 26, 27? 27, I think. 27, right? So, and then to, like, think about that. Like somebody with 27, sure. somebody with two months, somebody with 10 years, you know, coming in and doing their kind of shtick, just learning. That's awesome. So cool. And that's, that's the money right there, right? You need to monetize this, Richie. (laughs) I'm I'm willing to pay 20 bucks for a class. Okay. And I think that just doing, you know, stupid stories of, or the, like the stupid things I did in early recovery. I mean, anybody can start with that, right? Because we can all relate. We can all laugh about that. Yeah. I know I have a ton of them. So if you do have that class, I may just join it. Wow. Nice. And, and laughter is like, is so, so important, right? Like that's where the brain starts to change. That's where the body starts to change. And you just said a really important thing, uh, you know, that higher power element or the GOD or this universal thing, you know, like comes into play there. Uh, Good or dopamine. <laughs> right. That's what it is. And the other thing you mentioned earlier is getting, um, Narcan, Narcan into the comedy clubs. So how did this come about? How are you getting this? How, how's it going to happen? Talk a little bit about that. What it came about is, um, so we just finished our second annual stand-up for recovery comedy fest. Uh, the first year it was at the Punchline Comedy Club. This year we're at the Atlanta Comedy Theater. And we, in both instances, and, and just throughout my career, I've actually, I've, I've tried to find like when I was doing Wild West shows, comedy shows, I was like, you know, giving to like the Buffalo Field campaign. They, and they keep like baby Buffalo from getting hazed to death by like big, you know, big aggro or whatever. Um, but so like we would try to find like last year we gave a percentage of our proceeds to the Atlanta Harm Reduction Coalition. So I don't know if, if harm reduction has come up much here, but yeah, it's pretty wide. But um and uh, so that might look like Narcan, it might look like fentanyl test strips, it might look like, you know, free testing and just, you know, you're building up relationships with people where they're at. And then, and it also kind of includes, it's not just addiction, but it could, you know, it could be sex work and, um, you know, um, so when people, hopefully, you know, if they do want to get, um, you know, if they do want to get clean, and I know clean could be a stigmatizing word outside of our, you know world but um you know then they've already have a trust and built up relationship with people and um so and then you know there's medical assisted treatment which could be considered harm reduction whether that's uh, suboxone or whatever vivitrol or um you know all, all the rest i can't think of but um methadone um but so we gave to atlanta harm reduction last year this year uh, we aligned with a group called Heroes Initiative, which stands for helping every responder offer effective services. So there's a shortage of Narcan with first responders, paramedics. So they might, someone might call and say, I don't know, they're not breathing. They show up and they may not even have Narcan to revive them. So this is getting Narcan to first responders um, and also, you know, hopefully creating enough to be able to leave a box with them too. Um you know, after hopefully that they've been able to revive them. 
and and so their initiative to getting it to uh, first responders made me think about you know we were we raised money to give to buy like six hundred dollars worth of Narcan to first responders on our second annual show, and then I was like you know I have an opportunity to gift a box or several boxes to the comedy club because you know you think about stuff's getting cross contaminated or it's getting you know intentionally tainted and you know different drug supplies of different drugs and and you know a lot of people go to the comedy clubs and they're partying and whatever so they should have that and so i was thought like you know stay in i can stay in my lane and still help you know something to address the the opioid epidemic and and so forth um and i'm trying to get certified to be a trainer to administer it so um hopefully we can you know do shows almost like you know it's sort of like a pr thing but um and but that's part of it is i guess you know an advocacy um so we'll go to this comedy club we'll do a show we'll maybe align with a local recovery community organization to kind of shine the spotlight on them we'll give narcan to the club so they have it or part of the proceeds will go to that we'll train the staff how to utilize it do a press release so people are knowing you know it helps reduce stigma you know, that you're, you're having people in recovery performing at big comedy clubs. It's not just like recovering in the shadows. So that's part of that, you know, recovering out loud. Yeah, that's so cool. Do you find, I want to ask, because I mean, we focus on laughter and I know that a lot of people who come into recovery, like Lane said earlier, they're like, ah, oh, life's going to be boring. I thought that I'm like, Am I seriously going to do this thing forever? Because, of course, I have to go the biggest case scenario. I can't just take it one day at a time. And I thought, you know, how am I going to laugh? How am I going to have fun when I really used it to cope? Mm -hmm. Do you find that, you know, because you're in that long-term recovery now, that your comedy and laughter have contributed to you being able to develop long-term recovery? Because I feel like a lot of people get bored and they relapse. You know, I've heard it before talked about like I'm getting bored now this isn't fun and they think that that's the fun way but we, we all know that it's not I mean not to other people anyway mm -hmm. do you find that laughter has contributed to that long-term recovery for yourself a hundred percent like I almost take it for granted sometimes it's easy to when five nights out of the week I'm in a comedy club maybe I'm just doing my little five minutes of new material um, but I'm I'm laughing for at least an hour a night and that therapeutic value is, is, uh, um, you know, uh, very, um, important. And, and, uh, that's, so there's like, I, I was trying to think of, um, there's a quote about, I, I've, I've been breaking up some of, some of my favorite quotes on the healing power of laughter into like mental, physical, emotion, um, um, spiritual, but um, the, the but the physical benefits, um, you know, it's like the this is uh, Norman Cousins uh, said, laughter is a form of internal jogging. It moves your internal organs around. It enhances respiration. It is an igniter of great expectations. Um, an unknown quote says, laughter opens the lungs, and opening the lungs ventilates the spirit. Um, oh, I like that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, Fred Allen said, it's bad to suppress laughter. It goes back down and spreads to your hips. Oh. <laughs> I can tell you it's a 50s comic. 
so good. Um, but yeah, no. So like, there's definitely that. You know, it's it's a massage of internal organs. There's a healthy dopamine hit. Um, there's connecting. I have people come up after shows everywhere from like I'm addicted to chocolate, or like my dad was an addict, and this really helps me, or my ex, and this helps me kind of empathize with them a little bit. Um, you know, I've had people in the industry come out and be like, you know, in private, be like, you know, by the way, I'm also in recovery, and da 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 da. And um, so I could see how it might, you know, and, and there could be some benefit to seeing other people like me who doesn't care. Like I, I, I was, I, I, you know, like they, I've heard it said, like you know, like it was, I wasn't anonymous when I was using, like you know, so mm. like I'm proud to be in recovery. You know what I mean? So, but I, mm-hmm. I get, you know, not to align myself specific fellowships, et cetera. But, but by no means does that mean that I have to like pretend like I'm not in recovery and, and it, it might be able to help others vicariously be able to see like, you know, us living our truth and, and, and being honest. And then that gives them a little bit of reprieve. I think having that outlet um, has been good for me. And, and to that note, I, I do try to be bulletproof in my recovery. So I had a, someone tell me once, if there's a storm at sea, any port will do. So I've, you know, I've gone to multiple pathways of recovery and, and I enjoy it. You know, I want to, I, I need to be bulletproof in the long haul. So I want to pick up as many tools for my toolbox and my recovery uh, capital as I can. Lane, do you have, do you have anything more to add? Well, I was just thinking about this, the laughter and healing and having, you know, comics on once a month, like we should have a show right? For stand-up, mm-hmm. for alcoholics in recovery, stand-up for recovery. And I'm just, this is something we should just, you know, have offline conversation with Richie about really celebrating these people in recovery, us, you know, doing the stand-up and, you know, showing them off. Like I want to highlight them. So, yeah. you know, if you're listening right now and you're like, oh my God, that's such a good idea. Or, oh my God, I'm funny. Like maybe you're like me and you're like, I'm raising my hand because I think I'm funny or people tell me I'm funny. You know what? Reach out to Tamara and I and let us know and we can hook you up and put you in this kind of stand up for recovery situation. I think mm-hmm. this is just so glad. Richie, I'm super stoked to know you and know that you're out in the world doing the work that you do because, you. you know, recovery is no joke and people are dying from alcoholism and addiction and you're making the light, the world a better place. So thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. And if people want to learn more about us, you can, I guess on the bottom of the screen, stand up number four recovery.com. If you're a comedian listening and you're traveling through Atlanta, reach out and um, we'd love to build a show around your availability. Um, if you'd like to help support us, uh, we have these t-shirts that, which are printed by artists in recovery. Our slogan, one night at a time is on there. Almost shit in the belly. Um, <laughs> and um, so that's, there's a link for merch store at standupnumber4recovery.com and Stand Up For Recovery spelled the same way across all social media platforms, except YouTube or Stand Up For Recovery Comedy. Hey, Tamar. Yes, Lane. Thanks so much for hanging out. It's been fun. Appreciate y'all. I'm so stoked. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that was great. It was. And I think 
you know, having an insight from someone who was in comedy first, mm-hmm. but was able to keep that going yeah, in recovery is amazing. Because I mean, like we've mentioned, right, a lot of people think recovery is boring. And I think people like Richie have proven that it's not and you can probably actually be more funny. It's not it's yeah, recovery is so it's freaking the bomb. It is it's so good. I did this um, event this weekend out in the rain. And oh. you know what? I was laughing. Were you? I was laughing because you know what? <laughs> Here's a bunch of alcoholics, women out there just being in their sober bodies, sober self in the pouring rain. I was laughing. Just mm-hmm. like, can you believe we're doing this? It's a good time. Yeah. No sad is. faces. No sad faces. No. And I think Richie's, you know, just the fact that he is off the, uh, you know, the garage meth or garage speed. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, he's a walking miracle. Let's just let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, we have anything going on tomorrow? Well, the newsletter. Oh, yeah. The newsletter. Sign uh, up for the newsletter. We sign have up for the newsletter. coming out. Yeah. We got a lot going on. Yep. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Laughing Without Liquor. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Living in recovery can be a blast, and we are glad you're laughing without the liquor with us. We hope you'll join us again in the next episode. Until then, take care.